Welcome to the EIM Global Podcast, a place where we speak to experts from across education, academia and industry, so we can contribute to the professional conversations happening in our community now. The discussions we have and insights shared by guests help develop our own thinking and work, and hopefully spark further dialogue for other educators too, as they reflect on their practice and the students they work with. Today is a special episode, as we're welcoming our very own EIM Chief Education Officer, Leslie Mayer, onto the podcast. In addition to leading education strategy for the group, Leslie is also one of the executive sponsors for the EIM Group's digital transformation program, known as D3. And D3 is actually one of the main reasons we started this podcast series at all. Fundamentally, so we could speak to and learn from experts thinking hard about the ways things like technology are asking new and challenging questions of educators and education systems everywhere. We cover Leslie's thoughts on the impact of the pandemic on education, possible directions the future of education might now take, and how some of these possibilities can lead to increases in student agency, engagement, and well-being, as well, of course, of how educators are more important than ever in this picture. Prior to working with EIM, Leslie has taught in and led outstanding international schools in the UK, Germany, Belgium, and Switzerland, across the three to 18 age ranges. Having been a principal in the highly regarded International School of Geneva for five years, Leslie decided to move to Asia and has led the design of an innovative school curriculum for De Hong International Chinese Schools. Whether developing curriculum, writing education policy or planning school designs for the future, Leslie believes in putting students first. She has worked for the UK government and the EU on recruitment and on policy groups, specialising in the areas of bilingual education, English as an additional language and special needs inclusion and in 2012, became a founding volunteer on the International Task Force on Child Protection. So, without further ado, let's hear from Leslie. Leslie Mayer, Chief Education Officer at EIM, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, lovely to be here, Crispin. How are you as we come to uh, the end of another action-packed year for EIM? Well, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because now, you know, I, I think I still actually live my life in school terms, oddly enough, because, of course, now I don't actually get school holidays anymore. It was a complaint. And I miss them desperately. <laughs> I, I miss that end of school year feeling when everything's special and the graduations and the concerts and everybody getting excited, looking forward to the summer holidays. We don't get that rhythm um, in the office, sadly. So is it the end of the school year for me? Well, to be honest, not really. It's just kind of carrying on in one continuous loop these days. But it is lovely to, you know, people have been sharing their newsletters and lots of special things happening across the group. I hear you. I miss that <laughs> feeling of the sort of energy, as it were, as it yeah. builds up towards the end of term. It's a very special thing, each each with its own, you know, nuance, whether it's the Christmas sure. term or, or, or summer, but uh, exactly. a lot of fun. Yeah. Does your does your focus shift essentially as as we move, or the schools I should say, move out of term time into summer break? I mean, is that yes. is that an opportunity for you to do something different? And, and how does that look? Yeah, it's a bit different because I mean, obviously, thoughts turn to induction, and um, no, I haven't made the video yet to welcome the new staff because I haven't got to that bit yet. And is the heads handbook ready? You know, and then you've got all the fantastic work going on with with Connect Ed and our Institute of Learning as they're putting together um you know those uh, great compulsory some of them are compulsory i will use that word mandated perhaps things on safeguarding that have been refreshed or health and safety the the digital stuff um the cyber security pieces you know making sure all of that's up to date and ready so I, i guess it does shift perhaps though as schools are closed and colleges are closed there's more of a time for reflection as well so you've got that 
getting everything for August, but at the same time thinking, okay, where are we going next year? You know, it is a moment also for me to pause and think, where are we on our educational strategy? You know, are we are we still on track? Um, is it still coherent? You know, <laughs> have I completely forgotten about something? So it is a different it is a different pace, perhaps, in the summer, I would say. It's actually that reflection that I'd like to move on to now in some mm. ways, because from your vantage point as CEO, looking back on the last two and a half years, what do you think will inform the mm. next 10 or 20 years of education, given that we've had a pretty unusual two and a half years, I think, in the education circle? Oh, I think we could agree on that one, Crispian. Um, gosh, that's a big question, isn't it? You know, do I really want to look back on the last two and a half years as to be sort of statement number one? Because it really has been disruptive. And it's been disruptive in a lot of negative ways, too. I don't think we can allow ourselves to forget um, how, how much stress there was, how much strain uh, colleagues went through in the schools, the impact on the children and on the families' well-being. I think so much happened in the last two and a half years. Maybe it's also easy now to, to dismiss the feeling that we were actually quite scared two and a half years ago. There was a fear. We didn't know what COVID was going to be. You know, is this the new, you know, black death? And, and, you know, a lot of people have lost their lives worldwide. So it's not just about flicking a switch and saying, okay, let's think about all the positives from the last two and a half years. Because frankly, there is a bit of sadness. Um, a lot of the people that you and I work with haven't, didn't see their families for three years. Um, that's a long time to be separated from the people that you that you love. Um, so it's been a period of disruption in that sense as well. And if I take it then into perhaps into a more role-based, professional-based realm, it, I think about lessons learned very much. I mean, those first days around January, February, um, when, when suddenly our world was turned upside down or came to a standstill, depending on how you want to look at it, it was pretty chaotic at first. You know, we were doing an awful lot of firefighting. Um, I feel, as I look back in many ways, very humbled um, by our profession's capacity to adapt quickly and to put students at the centre of what they were doing. You know, there were people on beaches in Bali, you know, it was Chinese New Year. Um, and the outrageous, Crispian, some people hadn't taken their work laptops with them. What were they thinking? You know, and, and there were all those questions about how do we support colleagues across the globe on holiday to go online? How do we take 11,000 students online within a couple of weeks? It was an extraordinary effort. And as I say, pretty humbling experience for me being, if you like, at the epicenter of, of organising all of this, to see how willing people were to change, to be flexible, to do everything they could to get things back into, onto track for, for the children and to think about student learning. So learnings from COVID, I mean, what will we take forward for the next 20 to 30 years? I think that appreciation we shouldn't leave. We, we shouldn't lose that sense of, wow, you know, goodness me, are there some extraordinary people out there in the world of education? I think what will inform us will be the human side of all of this. That might sound a bit funny on a podcast about D3, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. But the human side of wanting to be together as people, um, whether it was adults collaborating 
or trying to find ways for students to stay connected with their teachers and with their peers. Um, you know, I saw uh, orchestras online. I saw sing-alongs online, um, pub quizzes. They were more for the adults, possibly, than the students. And lots of opportunities for children in breakout rooms to, to still collaborate and work together. So I think the human piece will stay with me. And I have no doubt that's going to inform education going forward. We're not going to lose that bit, the piece around well-being. And allowing ourselves to be comfortable with what are essentially human relationships and human tasks and remembering that schools also fulfill a very powerful social function. And I think that's important and will continue over the next 10 to 20 years. I think a lot of what we do will be shaped by climate change. I think there will be an ever-increasing focus on sustainability understanding what that really means to live in a sustainable fashion and to do what we can for uh, people and the planet um, going forward, because I think it's going to have major economic repercussions for us all. I think tech developments are super exciting. We learned a lot during COVID. It was our starting point. I mean, you and I had early conversations about where is this experience taking us? Um, and I think we'll see much more efficiency through the use of machine learning, through AI um, helping to personalise learning. I'm sure we'll get into that in this, this conversation. So to me, perhaps I look forward to seeing... If I think about the student feedback, let me have a digression. If I think about student feedback to us centrally, you might remember when we took those pulse checks regularly that a lot of those students said, yes, we miss our peers, we miss our school, we miss our sports. But being able to control the pace of our own learning is actually quite a special feeling. They told us they liked that, that it worked for them. I remember reading one young person had written, it's like I can press pause on my teacher, rewind and listen again to something. That strikes me as very powerful student agency. And I think that's got to be something, that personalization, that putting the learning into the hands of the student so they can also begin to to learn more about what works best for them, that's going to be a big part of the next steps in education. Does that make sense to you? It does. It makes perfect sense. And I think what you've described, and particularly that opportunity to, when you have those moments that aren't firefighting, as, as you quite rightly pointed out, there was definitely a, a good chunk <laughs> of that at various points, wasn't oh, there? But, yeah. but to be able to reflect, I suppose, all of us across the community on you know, what actually the real value of, yeah. of schools as a physical place and that face-to-face -face is, and, and particularly the human side that you, you've articulated so clearly mm. there, versus, again, other things that didn't work so well, let's say, in a, in a sort of forced emergency remote environment. Mm. But some things perhaps also that we didn't expect that turned out, yeah. for example, from that student voice piece coming back to us saying, actually, some of these things I quite liked. So for me, it's a really interesting opportunity to, to look at, well, what actually should we emphasize more about that face-to-face -face experience as, as schools you know hopefully return to a more normalized face-to-face -face oh. on campus experience and what actually might we want to do a little bit differently and keep from some of the I suppose in a way sort of forced tests that, that effectively were run as we all, all of course across the world scrambled to make sure that, that students had the opportunity to still connect and and carry on learning so mm. I completely echo that and I think the the conversations that you referenced there about 
D3 as a, as a transformation project and, and taking, I guess, some lessons learned or some reflections from that two and a half years, you know, what is it getting into that now that mm. has convinced you then that that strategy uh, is right for the group, uh, the EIM group and family of schools and, and for us now, I suppose? I think... Um, I, I think honestly, it, it goes back to that January 2020 experience. It, it listening to the different voices of students, from from the one I just quoted through to other students who told us that actually being outside a classroom and being able to learn outside the classroom works for me as a young person. Capturing those voices, and as you rightly articulated beginning to think about, well, what is so precious about the being together in a school experience and how do we combine those two? That's what started this thinking around D3. I guess the other piece for me was initially, of course, it was about finding ways quickly to support colleagues across the group fast and recognising that we had so many different platforms. We had so many different programmes um, that it made it difficult. It was almost as if, in part, technology was a bit of a barrier to collaboration, a bit of ba- a barrier to working together in that communicating network, that global network. We clearly didn't have it. And I guess in those early conversations, it was about saying, OK, we've got to find technology that enhances teachers' creativity. If you think about teaching as both an art and a science, yeah, there is the art piece, which is the human part, which is the creative part. Then there's the scientific part, which is saying, well, what's the data we require? How do we get this data and how do we effectively use data to enhance student outcomes? How do we understand how our students learn best individually? All of that kind of came together at the beginning with drive and energy and commitment brought about perhaps by firefighting to say, okay, now is the right time to move forwards. So we've got to do this. And also I think the other part for me, Crispin, is if you think about lots of other areas of our lives, whether it's, you know, I don't know, booking hotels or uh, flights or, you know, to my great excitement, having a meal served in a hotel room by a little robot that came up in the lift with me. I mean, wow, you know, I'm in a science fiction film, but it's real. I guess there was also that sense of if if I landed from Victorian England into a schoolroom, a lot of things I'd recognise, a lot of things, you know, teacher at the front, the blackboard might be a whiteboard that I don't really understand, but there's to be the desk, the chairs, the kids listening. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the picture across our group. Of course it isn't. But nonetheless, there are still very many elements of education that perhaps haven't had the same disruption. And, and that's before I even talk about banking or you know, any of the, the, the bigger picture things that have changed. So there's part of me that also reflects on with D3Y now, it is actually time for us in education to say, we've gone through a massive disruption Let's not lose it. Let's keep going. This is the moment to, it's our time, if you like, to really think about the role of the teacher, the role of the school, and how technology can help us to do it better. So that's really why the now for me. Makes perfect sense. And I think for me, 
thinking about that, you know, we, we, if you think about the experiences the students themselves mm. are having outside of school, exactly. they're experiencing all the same things that you were just describing there yeah. in their own it's their world. Norm. It's their norm, exactly. Mm. And so, you know, for them, thinking about how they can bring those ideas, bring that learning, bring those knowledge or that knowledge and skills into mm. their learning experience within the school community seems to me to me to make perfect sense, I suppose. Yeah. The other thing I, I feel is that you know, if if educators are not at the center of that conversation, then the conversation will be had by other people. And yeah. and for me, to put students at the absolute center of that, educators' voices and expertise and experience is fundamental. So I think it's it's crucial that they're involved in that and that we continue this conversation. Obviously, this podcast is one way to, to try to sort of help or support that. But focusing particularly on students for a hmm. moment, how do you think this strategy, the D3 transformation strategy, will actually make a difference for them, for students particularly? You know, I think it's not going to be like a light switch, as I said. I, I think in, in education, as I said before, I actually think as a profession, we're really very good builders. We have, there is a, there's a wisdom to be gained from seeing what's gone before and building on that. So for me, for students, I think what they're going to experience over the next three years will really be a different, a different kind of learning in the classroom, but it won't be totally unfamiliar either. So I think what they will see is that they become much more people who participate in designing their own learning experiences. I think that's going to be a central shift. It's not going to be the teacher telling you what you need to learn Oh, but Miss, we did the water cycle last year. You know, it's going to be about much more about co-creation. And I think that will see a huge enhancement in uh, engagement, in the sense of well-being. I mean, we know that well-being also comes from feeling empowered, feeling um, valued in a process, feeling you have control over it. And I think that enhancement of well-being is incredibly important, particularly at a time where, where things are disrupted and where, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, whether it's climate change or, um, you know, other things, you know, negative things that are happening politically around children that are of worry or economically, th there needs to be that focus on, on their well-being. To me, this is part of it. And, and recognising, I think, I think they should feel that they, they are experts too. You know, they have content. They don't come as blank sheets you know, if I remember, Crispin, you'll forgive me, but if I go really far back with you, starting as a very young teacher and being told, well, no, we don't ask the primary teacher what the children learned because we like a fresh sheet at the beginning and we want to discover them for ourselves. Now, I promise you that is real. That, that was what we did in those very early days. And I think it now sounds completely baffling that you wouldn't want to know everything possible in order to develop those great learning experiences to help students progress. So I think they're going to not have that setback, if you like, that time wasting. I'm hoping that what students will experience with this change is a recognition that they're all different learners that the pedagogy, if we talk about reflexive pedagogy for a moment, is going to enable teachers to use technology to differentiate differently. And there's a good phrase for you, differentiate differently. So it's not just about tasks. It's about a whole range of, of different learning activities 
that are designed for a student's capacity and their interests, that's going to be really exciting, I think, for students. And then maybe the other piece I'd mention that I'd hope students will recognise is that they themselves will be empowered to collaborate with whoever they want to collaborate with and whoever they need to collaborate with. So it's not just, you know, group work online, not that there's anything wrong with group work online, by the way, but it's actually being able to reach out to experts in the field and perhaps work with them, not just across our group, but beyond our group, to learn a whole new range of skills that they might need in order to complete a particular piece of, pro of work or because they're interested in it. So I, I think it's quite an exciting um, time. You know, as I say, I think giving targeted support, giving access, um, many more opportunities. I hope it will be fun as well, by the way, because I actually really believe that education should also be fun um, and exciting. So that's what I'm hoping for anyway. Extended critical thinking, extended agency, um, lots of things. So much in there to, to pick up on, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> just, I, I love this. I mean, for me, this idea of, of student agency is so important, but co-agency, the yes. agency of students yeah. designing learning in collaboration with, yeah. with teachers and being being a real part of that conversation. And and then also this idea of, I suppose, to, to use a sort of reflexive pedagogical language for a moment, collaborative intelligence, the yes. opportunity to not just work with each other within classrooms, and that's obviously great and very powerful, but actually to, as you've articulated, go in, in some ways many layers beyond mm. that in terms of mm. a sort of social scaffold and reaching out and connecting. And, and I think that for me is is one of the most exciting things. It's from an educator's perspective, and I'd love to, to ask you about that in just a moment. But thinking about the message of, of where we are today, in, in my view, is, is not that what we've been doing is, is wrong in any yeah. way. It's that there's a potential here that, that the toolkit has expanded, if you like. The opportunity for learning design now is perhaps broader than it has ever been. And, and for me, that's a very exciting thing yeah. to think about. But, but I think Agreed. coming back to you know, the, the last two and a half years that educators have gone through and the, and the wonderful job under incredibly difficult conditions that, that many educators have, have continued to work in and provide support for their students, you know, looking forward now and, and finding the, the energy, I suppose, to, to look at some new changes, some new challenges. And, and for some educators, I think you know, where we're going here is, is a little um, unknown. You know, we are shaping that journey mm. as part of the conversation because, of course, things are changing very rapidly. So for you... What is it that you think is potentially exciting to educators in terms of being part of this strategy? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I'd pick up on is, is that it could be daunting, actually. You know, we're talking about things like um, learning anywhere, anytime. And I'm going, oh, hang on, when's my time as a teacher then? When, when, when's my off time? You know, we've seen it with email. We see it with social media. When is the downtime? All those blurred lines. So I think it could be daunting. Um, even something like agency, actually, student agency. You know, I'm talking about empowering students. Oh, hang on, I'm a teacher. Is it, am I not in charge of the learning in the classroom? As soon as you say something, as I've just done, about differentiating more or differentiating differently, somebody's going to go, ooh, I've got 24 students. Are you saying I've got to prepare a different lesson for each one of them? So I think there's a daunting element that we mustn't, mustn't see negatively, but we mustn't overlook either, because I think we've also got to be respectful of 
of what's, what teachers have experienced over the last two and a half years, working online, balancing their own families, you know, um, needs as well as their own wherever possible. So there is a, there is a slight fatigue so why do I still think we should go for this? Because, I mean, we could have just said, oh, let's not, you know, let's just go back. Let's business as usual. I think for the reasons that we both articulated earlier, it's essential to make this move now. You know, it really is important. So we've got to look at it through the perspective of opportunity. These are exciting opportunities for educators. I mentioned time. Well, let's just imagine then, um, you know, where grading can be done through machine learning. You know, there are some things as a teacher I still want to read, I still want to think about, I still want to be excited by and understand what a student is writing for me. But there's an awful lot of practice work that can be really well done and well graded, probably more accurately, um, using machine learning and then designing the next step for the student to stretch them further. I think we might find that teachers actually gain time. I say that very carefully because I don't want anybody, um, don't write to me about that if anybody's listening. I think personalizing content, you know, th th that kind of quip I made about, well, are you looking for 22, 24 lesson plans, uh, Leslie? Well, the answer is probably not, but maybe and even if I am, then maybe that personalized content is going to come through, again, mentioning machine learning or, or, or AI, which can find content and curate content and deliver content to a student um, in a very personalized and targeted way. So it could actually be that that adaptive learning will gain time for me as a teacher or for teachers in our group to use for those more human uh, interactions that are so essential. So yes, daunting, but I think there are exciting possibilities. And I think, you know, we become teachers because we want to actually work with young people, still love our subjects possibly, but we want to work with young people. We believe in the power of education. So the opportunity to have, let's say through the dashboards that we've been looking at recently, data that will enable a teacher to really know a student better, therefore meet their needs and enable them to move forwards, I, I think, and achieve great things. I think that's what teachers really want. So to me, that's exciting, that, you know, working with young people in that way. So I don't think anybody should be worried. We're not talking about replacing teachers, I don't think. We're not talking about replacing schools. I don't think that either. I just think we're talking about using technology to, as I said, to, to let teachers use things, let teachers gain time for the things that need them as people, as role models, as adults, as facilitators. Um, so to me, it's about that. It's, it's encouraging teachers to, to be creative, but in a different way. I would agree. I, I think it's, in fact, a time where the role, the expertise, the, the skill of a teacher as a, a, a learning designer or yeah. designer of learning, and also someone that really understands each of their students is probably more important than it's perhaps ever been. I would agree. As we have a broader range of possibilities, you know, yeah. it's for those individuals to say, well, this is this is right for these students at this time to achieve this yeah. particular end or, or outcome. So I, I agree. I think this idea of the role of the educator being replaced by 
technology uh, mm. is for me bonkers. I, I just yeah. don't see that happening. But yeah. but I do see your point about time being potentially found and given back by again deciding well what is it that that technology can do better for us and then by doing that giving that time back for things that frankly it's not going to do anytime soon better than you know that that human connection which you started off the conversation today by highlighting the importance of so hugely important and and i think also crispin just think about resources for a moment you know and and being able to um, access a huge range of different resources in order to design those learning experiences without having to create them yourself all the time. And, and to me, that's exciting. I'd also mention perhaps that other piece of collaboration. Um, you know, we, as educators, we do work well together. We do, um, you know, the days of the closed door and, you know, the arm around you know, your work in the staff room that nobody else should see it. Yeah, it doesn't exist. We don't fly solo. And so using the, the power of, of, in this case, D3 and of technology to enable us to talk to one another, to share best practice, to share resources and have them often curated for us, I think that's very exciting. And I think that will be welcomed by people across our group. One of the things that was mentioned on a podcast I was having with Gerard Cornyn hmm. the other day was he referenced, I suppose, or at least talked about the fact that some of the structures in education uh, are pretty much unchanged from the way they were many decades ago, as, as you also mentioned earlier. And so you know, sometimes I think they're there for very good reasons. And you know, we should be very careful about just deciding that you know, there's a new way of doing things and it's, it's obviously better. But nonetheless, reflecting on those things, I think, is, is crucial. And I'm also reminded of the fact that I think in Singapore now, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, government schools have decided effectively permanently in the secondary age range to go to one day a fortnight remote oh. online learning. Um, and again, that seems to me a pretty strong example of a structural change that's taken place there. So, you know, you've mentioned one or two of these already, I suppose. But as schools start to reflect on how the day-to-day and how some of those structures mm. might change because of these new possibilities, what sorts of things do you think are interesting? What sorts of things do you think might be worth exploring or that ultimately we might see? I'm hoping that we're going to see change. Um, I think yeah, that we've also got to be pragmatic. We've also got to be realistic, I think, Crispian. You know, forgive me, everybody who's listening to this, you know, schools also do have a babysitting service as well. They are a safe, contained place for young people to grow and develop and have experiences together, um, separate from parents, family, home, outside pressures. And we have parents, parents need to work, parents need to also where they can live their lives. Um, and I think, you know, we are part of that bigger um, system that we, you know, that we can't ignore. So I think the shape of the day will change. I, I suspect, though, it's going to be more about what we do within that day. How do we structure? Is it still, you know, do, do we actually still learn, particularly in a senior school, in 40, 45-minute blocks? Why? Why do we do that? Is there really a strong rationale for that? And I think these barriers will break down. Um, I'm, I'm quite sure of that, and I'm excited by that. I think we'll see much more social learning, many more opportunities for collaborative learning. I think we'll see more opportunities to learn in other places. You know, what makes us think that learning should happen within four walls? 
so many more opportunities to break down the school year so that learning happens elsewhere. And I don't mean necessarily, not that there's anything wrong to, with the field trip to the museum, the art gallery, the park. It's not that that I'm suggesting. It could be, uh, you know, through virtual reality that I'm visiting places around the world. It could be that we're taking part during the school day individually in lectures uh, with universities or with, you know, playing with other children virtually around the world during break. I think it's the shape of the school day inside that we will see the biggest shift rather than necessarily a change in school. Um, timetable is what I'm talking about. I suspect also we might see the shape of the year shifting. It's still based on kind of harvest time, isn't it? You know, I get it. I mean, it's a little bit bizarre and we've kept to that. And so possibly we'll see um, a much more fluid school year going forward, where perhaps learning takes place at a time that is more useful for, for young people, whether that's, you know, senior school students working at different times of the year, collecting data in a different part of the world as part of their school year, or whether it's younger students having a continual school year so that learning isn't broken up quite so severely. And those incredibly important social skills that they're developing in those early years um, are, are continual. I don't know. I think it's really exciting. But I suspect we will move away from rigidity. I think that's what I'm saying, finally, Crispian, from that three-term, two-semester, you know, 8.30 to 3.30 model. I think it's going to shift. And possibly more that than the Singapore model of kind of one day a week at home. Because I think that has different challenges um, socially um, for, for, our, for families. But we'll see. Again, super exciting. That's it, isn't it? It's about having the conversations, engaging with them, the yeah. opportunities now to think, well, okay, what, what could be different? And why yeah. are the things that we want to keep, you know, the things we want to keep in that way? You know, what, what's their purpose? What, what do they serve? And then obviously, likewise, what could we enable now oh. with the new technologies that are, that are available to us? One of the things for me that I think is quite quite low-hanging in a sense and, and equally exciting is this fact that as EIM happens to be a, a family of schools, you know, we have the opportunity for, for social learning, peer learning experiences yeah. within that network, kind of ready-made in a sense. Um, mm. And that's before you think about, as, as you quite rightly articulated, the possibility of going beyond that network as well. So I think, you know, do we do, we do some of that already? Sure. Yes. But the question for me is, and it's true for all of these things, I think, that these things could become far more normal parts of the learning experience rather than the ad hoc, you know, the, the, the one-off, as it were. Yeah, I think I would use the word intentional. So I, I, think, I think there are many, many exciting things that happen across the group now. But it's about that intentional design because we recognise that these things are of value. It's not because a particular teacher has a particular contact with a, you know, a school on the other side of the world. It's, it's an intentional part of the learning uh, design for the year, for the even even beyond a year, actually, for a, a you know a student's journey through the school. So I think that'll be a major change going forward. And perhaps another shift will be the use of not the use of that sounds a bit harsh, but it would be the involvement of people external to school. So the community piece and how community comes in and school goes out into the community. I think we'll see a great deal more integration in that way. And community could be anywhere in the world. 
It doesn't have to be your local community. So I think that's going to be a shift as well that we'll see. As you said, uh, very exciting times and an opportunity to to reflect on and and shape, I suppose, that conversation. We're coming towards the end of uh, of the chat today. Mm. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. But, you know, I always like to ask this sort of question as we get to the end of these podcasts. If you were to, (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, if you were to rewind... 20-odd years or so in your educational career, and you were able to give yourself one piece of advice that you wished you'd had then, what do you think that would be? Oh, wow, Crispin, what a question. I wouldn't mind rewinding 20 years in other aspects of my life, but would I go back professionally? Mm. I think it's about, do you know, honestly, it's about keep enjoying it. I, I don't mean that in a superficial, glib sense, you know, but I really feel that education is so multifaceted. I've mentioned a couple of times the art and the science. It's such a fabulous blend and such an opportunity to contribute to the future by what we do in the present now with the students that parents have trusted to in our care, you know. You know the book of dreams that keeps starting with imagine if. To me, those eight dreams, and I know we had, was it 25 originally? Um, That's such a terrific way to be thinking. Imagine if. So what would I say to myself 20 years ago? Keep enjoying it and imagine if. So that you keep thinking and reflecting of new ways of doing things. I mean, I'd never heard of reflexive pedagogy. Hey, I have now. How exciting is that? Keep dreaming, keep changing, keep enjoying it. That would be my advice to me. Sounds like great advice. And, and for <laughs> listeners that, that might not be familiar yet or, or part of the group, the Book of Dreams is, as you said, those imagine-if statements that are just an yeah. opportunity for us to identify well, what are the component parts of the educational vision of mm. this transformation here. So certainly very exciting times, lots of change. With change, yeah. of course, comes opportunity and, and that, as I said, that chance to reflect and have that conversation is so important. For listeners who would like to, to follow up with you, Leslie, or get in touch and, uh, and pick your brains on some of the things <laughs> that, that you've shared, which I think is so exciting, so interesting, how should they do that? What's the best way to, to get in contact with you? You know, uh, I'm, I, I have a horrible feeling, Crispian, that my phone number, my might be in every uh, school because of the safeguarding. So look, I'm on WeChat. You can get me through my phone number. I'm in WhatsApp. I'm in LinkedIn. I am available by email. You know, I'm very easy to find. And I would just love to continue the conversation with colleagues out in in our school group. Um, It's actually really good for me, Crispian, because one of the things in my job is I need to keep grounded I need to keep in touch with the schools and the colleges and our profession. Um, So, you know, thank you for giving me that opportunity to say, people get in touch. Let's have that conversation. Thank you for the time that uh, you spent with us today. And and for listeners that are not part of the group, we'll Mm. obviously include your LinkedIn in the show notes as well. So they're able to contact you uh, in that way too. But as I said, just really nice opportunity to to hear your thoughts on the strategy. Excited to carry on the conversation and to go forward. And looking forward to see where we go over the next few months. Absolutely. Thanks very much for your time, Crispin. Talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. So that was Leslie Mayer. EIM's Chief Education Officer. Thank you, Leslie, for sharing your experience and your views on the thinking that is underpinning the D3 Transformation Project and the future possibilities. You can follow up with Leslie via LinkedIn, listed in the show notes. Until our next episode, thank you for listening, and don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.